Just last year, the American Psychological Association conducted a survey and found that 76% of adults said that they struggled with health impacts due to stress just within the last month. 38% said they had headaches, 35% had fatigue, 34% uh, anxiety, and 33% experienced some level of depression or sadness. And it's interesting to me that we live in a day and age where we have more technological advances, more comforts, if you will, than any previous generation or people group. And yet, we seem to be the most stressed out or distressed people and that we, the struggle is real. And so how do we handle that? What do we do? Well, today we want to talk about two concepts that seemingly are not connected, but by the end of this morning's message, I hope you realize that they actually are connected directly. And that's the concept of belief, what you believe and who you believe, and rest. Rest seems to be one of those things that it's almost like a carrot on a string out in front of you that it, everyone can agree that it's valuable and helpful, and if you've experienced it, you appreciate it. But at the same time, that when you ask someone how they're doing, the typical default response is, I'm busy. <laughs> There's a lot going on, you know? I'm busy, I'm going from one thing to the next. And, and it's very difficult to find rest. It's almost like it's your keys or something that you're looking for. Like, hey, has anyone seen my rest anywhere? Anyone seen my rest? Anybody seen my rest? Because um, looking for rest. And so today's message is simply entitled, How to Find Rest. And we're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. It's the 19th book of the New Testament. The theme of the book is that Jesus is greater than all things. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is God. And that, in, in a sense, Jesus really, the life of Jesus is the language of God. That in previous generations in, in the Old Testament, God spoke through various ways, in various ways, through the various prophets throughout the Old Testament. But in these last days, which we are a part of today, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. In other words, here in America we speak English, in Germany they speak German. Well, God speaks Christ. And so that was chapter 1, that Jesus is God. Well, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus was also fully man. And that's important because the idea there is that really Jesus being fully human also tells us that we have hope for tomorrow as, as well as help for today. That we have a God who sympathizes with us, who strengthens us, and then ultimately who saves us. Well, today we are jumping into a discussion about rest and belief, and that's found in Hebrews 3 and 4. Now, we don't have time to go through the entire passage together, so I invite you to read that uh, this week. And so, But let me give you a little bit of a flight plan, if you will. Just picture a flight plan for this morning's message, where we're going. But before we do that, let me, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, that true rest is found through belief in Christ. That the key to rest and a deep spiritual rest, not just a physical rest, but a spiritual one, that the key to rest is found through belief in Christ. And it seems like they're not connected, but I want you to track with me this morning and hopefully we can land the plane together and we end up in the same 
spot. So uh, the structure for Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, again, I invite you to, we're going to read some passages this morning, but I invite you to read both chapters sometime this week. Uh, we, if you have a chance there, whether on your phone, uh, whether you have a Bible, if you do not own a Bible, we'd actually love to give you one today. Just stop by our guest services table on your way out the door. But it, it's set up this way, that the first couple verses tells us, okay, why do we believe? Why should you believe in Jesus? Then the middle passage really then is, becomes a warning against unbelief. What happens when you don't believe in God? And then the last part, the third chapter, if you will, the third component of this morning's message is really what is the result of our belief? And that result is found in rest. And so let's jump into it here. So why do we believe? This is the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. Now I just want to pause there for a second. So he is talking to, in this case, he is talking to Christians. I want you to notice that, that he is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. Now, for those that don't believe in Jesus, who are new to church and Christianity, I'm so glad you're here and you are welcome to kick the tires and check things out. Uh, but I want you to understand that today's message really is meant for the Christian because when you pray to receive Jesus, that's not something that you do once when you're a young child or once when you're an adult and then you move on with your life. But rather, we have to remember the centrality of belief in Jesus in our everyday life. That we are called to believe in Jesus every day that ends in why. Right? Like it's, we need it 24-7, seven days a week, and that you need Jesus now just as much as you did the day you prayed to receive him. And we see this, and this should be an encouraging thing, because these verses, you're going to see that it's both who you are and then also who Jesus is. So he says, therefore, so building off that Jesus is God, Jesus is man, therefore, holy brothers, holy means to be set apart, to be perfect, to be separated from, but for a better cause or purpose. Brothers, he, typically you write letters in generic sense, so it's brothers and sisters, but they would address them in. So you could interpret their holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. This idea here is both a declaration and an invitation. And so you are holy. We are a spiritual family that you have received from a heavenly calling. And so this great picture. So he doesn't just say, hey, yo, listen up. Right? He says, hey, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly invitation from God, consider Jesus. He doesn't beat you over the head with it. It's just a real simple, consider Jesus. The NIV translated, translates it as fix your thoughts on him. Where's your focus? Pay attention to him. He says, he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. So apostle means sent by God. That's Hebrews chapter 1. High priest means representative of man. So that's Hebrews chapter 2. Right? So he's tying all things together. Hey, look, you who have a heavenly invitation to bear the name of God, consider, remember, think about, and fix your thoughts on who God is. Verse 2. For, he was faith, or for who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. For Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. 
as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. So again, he's equating Jesus with God here. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so there is this picture here that he's saying, because he's writing actually to Jewish Christians, so people who strongly believe in the Old Testament. And Moses was really seen as one of, if not the greatest leader, right? If you lead millions of people out of captivity through a wandering wilderness into a promised land, that's a pretty good resume. He says, hey, remember Moses, right, who challenged Pharaoh? Jesus is greater than Moses. And he's greater because Moses was a part of the house. Jesus built the house. Moses was a servant of the house. He, he was a steward of the land, if you will. He, he made a difference. He, he was running the house. But Jesus wasn't a, just a servant. Jesus was a son. And in fact, what Jesus is building is actually us, that we are his house. That's why in other passages, Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone, the foundation of what we believe. And so Jesus is greater than Moses, which today we might be like, okay, cool. But in that day, it was almost seen as blasphemous because the only person greater than Moses would be God himself. And that's exactly what he's saying here. And so he's saying, hey, brothers and sisters, people who have been called out by God, people who have been saved by God, remember Jesus. Don't forget the person who saved you, who's of the highest value. Now, the next couple of verses, he would go on to quote Psalm, and verse 7 through 11, we're not going to read that. But he, would, he actually quotes, the, the writer quotes Psalm 95, who later he says is written by David. And so David is talking about the Israelites. And so he moves into this time of, hey, believe in Jesus. And he says, well, let me tell you what happens when you don't believe in God. And he gives this warning. Now, why does he use the Israelites and Moses as a picture of unbelief? Because imagine being some of the million plus people that escape Egypt. God sent 10 different plagues to the, the town, or to the area. They survived that. Then they go escape the world superpower of Egypt. God splits the Red Sea. You get to the other side. The sea comes back in and crushes the Egyptian army. Now they're in the wilderness, and God provides food if you've ever tried to make food for your family, that can be tough. Now imagine trying to coordinate food for a million plus people. And God is just delivering manna every day. So, and they are being guided by a pillar of fire or a cloud representing over the tabernacle or presence of God himself. At some point, they received water when Moses struck a rock, which Moses got in trouble for, but that's a message for another day. And you see the presence of God is with them. And so you see all these incredible miracles happen. 
And yet when they get to the edge of the promised land, they send spies in and most of them come back and they're like, ah, we can't do it. And so what's interesting about the story of the Israelites is that because of their unbelief, they end up wandering for 40 years. It would have taken like 10 to 11 days to walk to the promised land from where they were, but instead it took them 40 years. And it didn't take 40 years for them to get out of Egypt, but it really took 40 years for Egypt to get out of them. And in fact, because of their unbelief, a majority of that generation would pass on and die and not move into the promised land. And it's not that they acknowledged the problems and the pain. It's that they thought that problems and pain were bigger than the presence of God. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. And so the writer talks about this, and we pick up his discussion about the Israelites here in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, uh, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from a living God. Hang on to that word living. We're going to come back to it. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. I love that. He says, Hey, exhort one another, encourage one another, as long as it's called today. You know what this means? It means that that passage is still relevant to us 2,000 years later. Hey, as long as it's today, remember this. He goes on and says, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So you grab hold here of the presence and the belief in God. Now, in verses 15 to 17, he quotes Psalm 97 again, and again makes reference to Israelites. We pick it up here in verse 18. He says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. He refers to the promised land as rest. If you think about it, they were slaves and then they were wandering. And so for them, they wanted a, a home of their own. That seems reasonable, right? No one wants to be enslaved. No one wants to wander. They want rest for their bodies and for their souls. But they didn't achieve that. Why? Because they didn't believe in the power and the presence and the promises of God. And so if true rest is found through belief in God, that what we learn through the story and the example of the Israelites is that disbelief and disobedience lead to a restless life. You know, there's a soap opera, The Young and the Restless, right? And it's always so dramatic, right? They're like, I'm pregnant with twins, but only one of them is his. Okay, it's like, <laughs> and it's like, storylines are so crazy. <laughs> Some of you are just getting that, but... Right? I would describe our culture as busy and restless. We want the next thing. We want the next thing. Go, 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 go. I got to go after. Got to work. Got to build. Got to buy. Got to go all these things. But at the end of the day, we're that hamster in the wheel, in the cage. Just the wheel spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And I don't know if you've ever felt this way. But it's like you get up, you do the things, right? And the things are different for every family, right? Some, it's, it's 
making the meals, doing the dishes and the laundry and getting the kids out the door. And right. Like, and that is a, let's just be real parents. That is a challenge, right? Like if you want to see a defiant child, just try to go somewhere, anywhere, any place at any time or get them to go to bed even. Right. Like at that point, if you say it's time for bed, it's I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, but I didn't do this. I think the, uh, and they're manipulative too, like those little lovable cute terrorists that are children will use anything. And so I'm a pastor, right? And so I remember one of my kids one time, I was trying to, dad, it's bed, uh, I was like, it's bedtime guys, so you got to go to bed. And they go, but dad, we just want to learn about Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, I went and grabbed my Bible. I come back and they're jumping on the bed from one to the next. It was like, you. I'll tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and then I prayed for forgiveness. <laughs> um, and so here's the thing. Like everything is busy, right? And if it's not kids, okay, fill in the blank with something else, right? You open the email account. You got meeting after meetings. You got the meeting about the meeting to then prepare for the meeting to come, right? To then fill out the report about the meeting, to talk about the previous meeting, going into the future meeting. And that doesn't even account all the personalities you have to work with, right? Let's assume everybody thinks the same way, does the same thing, and does what they say they're going to do. But that never happens. And so then you're grinding, going through, right? And then you get home, and it's just, what? So we, we, we do all those things, just to what, do it again? It can be exhausting, right? And so what the writer's talking about here is saying, look, true rest is found with belief in God. And that true rest is not just simply a physical one, but a spiritual one. And when you live in a world that is disobedient to God and doesn't believe in God, that's going to lead to a restless life. It just is. Because you're never going to feel settled. You're never going to have enough stuff. You're never going to feel like you've done enough as a parent or as a spouse or as a friend. You're always going to be wanting more because there is a place that only God can fill. There is a place that God can offer his presence. So he was saying, look, don't be like the Israelites. They saw all those miracles and yet didn't believe. They saw pain, they saw problems, and they saw the power of God. Like, oh, that's scary though. And they didn't do it. It's not that pain and problems don't exist, but it's that God's presence is bigger than that. You know, in, this, in Psalm 23, it talks about the good shepherd who makes his sheep lie down in green pastures, which it seems crazy that a shepherd would have to make a sheep lie down. And I didn't get that until I had, again, I had to put kids down for the first time, right? Can I, like, it, it, you're all like, no, this is good for you. Ah, I don't want to go. I'm like, no, this is good right? You need this. I wonder how many times God is trying to get us to collectively rest. Like, no, you need this. 
This is good for you. But God, did you see my to-do list? Did you see everything that I have to work with here? You don't even know. He's like, no, no, <laughs> I do. And actually that same psalm, towards the end, it says I, he prepares a table, which represents a feast, which represents relationships, with, which represents acceptance. He says, in the presence of your enemies. It's like, look, in the middle of all your craziness, I want to sit down with you. I want to have a moment. And so what does God promise if we believe in him in our busy and restless life? We pick this up here in verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Ooh, that's good right there. That the promise is still available to us. It says, Let us, um, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. Verse 2, for good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. When you believe in Jesus, rest is possible. You can take a collective deep breath for your soul and be like, it's going to be okay. It says, as he said, as I, swore to my, as I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, referring to the Israelites, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. I love this, that even the writer of Hebrews doesn't like exactly remember where it was said. Like he's quoting the Old Testament. Now granted, they didn't typically do numbers and chapters and stuff at the time. But have you ever like, tried to talk to someone and be like, well, it says this in the Bible. Where, I don't know, somewhere. Even the writer of Hebrews does that, so you're in good company. He says, hey, somewhere in the Bible, okay, it says on the seventh day, in this way that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And so you have this picture here that, where he's saying, look, don't be like the Israelites. They didn't believe, they didn't rest. But you know who rested? God. And are you telling me that you have a busier schedule than God? Right? He's saying on the seventh day, he rested. And then instituted this thing called Sabbath, which we're called the rest. Which an interesting note, when did God, what day did God create man? Day six, right? What day did God rest? Day seven. Here's what's cool about this is that the first thing humans did after creation was rest. And what's also cool about that is they did absolutely nothing to earn it. Right? God made them, and then he said, rest. What this means is that you don't need rest simply because you work hard. You need rest because you're human. And resting mentally, physically, spiritually is by God and for God. He goes on to quote, he mentions Joshua. He's saying, okay, so Moses and people disbelieved, but Joshua believed. He leads the people in, right? But then he quotes the psalm again, referring to David and saying, who wrote thousands of years later, referencing that, saying, okay, they got rest, but David talks about it too. So he's saying it can't just be a physical rest because that wasn't 
that didn't last. And so he's saying there's a greater rest available. And he picks it up here in verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest will also, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. It, it sounds weird, but if you get it, you get it. It takes work to rest. Right? You've got to strive for it. Because your calendar will fill up. Your mind will fill up with the scroll, with the email, with the conversation, unless we choose to pause. It says, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And then there's a real famous verse, but typically it's quoted out of context. I've done it as well, because it's still true to quote it by itself. But I want you to notice this verse is immediately following a verse about rest. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Remember that word living earlier? So we have a living God, we have living word. Verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now that seems really detailed and weird, but what he's saying here is like, look, you can't hide. God knows you. You can't, you can't, you can't, but God, right? We do this to our spouse. We do this to our, kids do this. We do it in our relationships. We do the apology and the but. I'm so sorry. But here's what I did, right? We kind of negate our apology, or at least I've done that before, right? We want to rationalize it, explain it, going through. What he's saying here is rest for your soul is found in God. That rest equals the presence of God. Doesn't mean that you don't have a busy schedule. Doesn't mean that you have that. But that collective deep within your soul, acknowledging that God has your situation, God has your relationships, God has your to-do list, and you can pause and allow that God keeps working. And you can do that. Why? Because you have the living God and the living word. You don't need to pretend. It says sharper than a two-edged sword. That word sword in that passage actually doesn't mean like, you think like a long samurai sword kind of thing um, or even like a lightsaber kind of thing. But it, it typically represented a short, sharp dagger that soldiers carried with them for hand-to-hand, up-close combat. Soldiers would carry these daggers with them so that when they would get close, it could pierce, it could pierce the armor of the opponent. In the same way, if you read the Word of God and you allow the Word of God, which is alive and active in the living God himself, that when you read it, there are times. You won't experience it every time, just realistically, but you will experience a time or two and over and over through the course of your life, that if you read it, it will pierce you, (laughs) right? And he's like, look, he knows. Whatever you think you're hiding from the world, God knows. Whatever you think you're hiding from your spouse or your friends, God knows. Whatever act you're trying to keep up, whatever, I don't even know why it's the Jones family that we're trying to keep up with, but whatever family you're trying to keep up with, as we're keeping up with the Joneses here, that God knows, 
and he's looking at you, holy, beloved, shared in a heavenly calling. He says, I love you. Come here. I want you to rest. I want you to rest. He gives this picture in creation. God created the world. He rested. He gives this picture with Moses and Joshua. He says, the people that followed Moses didn't believe. And when they didn't believe God, they were restless. Because if God's not in control, who does that leave to be in control? Us. And guess what? We can't control hardly anything. Right? You ever play that game as a kid? And maybe this is me being dumb and weird, but you do this as kids. You ever play this game where like, maybe it's at a pool or you're there like, hey, let's see who can hold their breath the longest. <gasps> right? I was sweet at that game, by the way. Um, I would cheat though, right? Then we do that like, <gasps> totally breathing through the nose. That's the key, right? It looks like you're holding your breath, but breathing, okay, anyway. Or if you're underwater, you pop up real quick and then go back down before the other person pops up. Just giving you some tips and insights here. Right? But no matter who would win that game, you know what would happen? You would have to come up for air. Why? Because we need air. We can't even control our lungs, our heartbeats, our bodies for the most part. You cannot control your business. You, can, cannot, you cannot control a global pandemic. You cannot control the markets. You cannot control the weather. There are so many things in your life you cannot control. And so when you understand that and you release control from yourself to God, that will allow you to rest. I've shared this story before, but uh, I carry, because we're like mobile church and in a sense, or have been for so long, I carry a lot of stuff with me, so I'll carry like my laptop and books and different things, and I'll just set up shop somewhere at a coffee shop for the day. And so my bags were all heavy, so I was getting ready to leave one day, and, and kiddo like grabbed, grabbed the bag when they were little, little toddler, and grabbed the bag, threw it on, and just like falls back, you know? It was cute, and I watched it for a little bit. And eventually I was like, hey, it's okay, let me grab that. What's too heavy for you is not too heavy for dad. And I grabbed the bag, and as I was walking out to process through something I was working through for the church, I was like, oh, that wasn't for me, or that wasn't for my kid, that was for me. He's like, you think this church is yours? No. <laughs> it's mine. Now be faithful, be active, go, you know, do what you need to do, but you don't control the church, I do. Right. What situation in your life right now do you think you control that you need to give to God? Because when you believe that God's got it, that gives you trust. And when you have trust, you can find rest. Now, there's a practical thing that we can do a sermon for a whole nother time about practices of Sabbath. And I get it, and I struggle too, just being real with you, Right? But I think that's why the writer says to strive for it, to intentionally seek it. Do you have regular time where you can disconnect with things and, and connect with God and family and friends? Because if you do that, that'll reset, right? That'll reset. 
Jesus says this too in Matthew 11, 28 and 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, it's so much deeper than a place or an activity. It's for your soul. Your schedule tomorrow might be just as busy as it was last week, but imagine being able to go into that meeting, that schedule, with a clear mind and a full heart. Because you'll find rest when you believe in Jesus. He says, I will give you rest because he gives us himself. Jesus says, I paid, for, I paid it all, so you don't have to. You have to sleep. God doesn't. Your business, your family, your circumstance, your situation is bigger than you, and that is okay. Because you know who's bigger than your situation? God. He says, you believe in me, and I will give you rest for your souls. I will give you peace beyond understanding. I will replace the anxious thoughts and worry with those of worship. Those are very serious things. And so if you need help, I'm saying go for it, right? Get the help that you need. Do the things that you need to. But understand that a good starting point is to say, I can't handle what's on my plate, but God, you can. This bag that I'm carrying right now is too heavy for me, but it's not too heavy for you. Rest is the secret sauce of the Christian. Rest is the Chick-fil-A sauce, right, for that sandwich? Come on now. And I, my apologies, because you're going to try to go, go there. And they're not open today. Right? But let's be real. Chick-fil-A sauce, I think, is a little taste of heaven. I think when it says thy kingdom come, it's Greek for Chick-fil-A sauce. Right. Rest is the secret sauce for the Christian. Is that when you take intentional time to pause, to recenter, but not just on self, but on God, he gives you that strength, that encouragement. You're going to have to keep going back. It's an ongoing thing. But it'll change you. See, I want you to walk away with some practical things here. Okay, number one, true faith is an act of faith. Go back to the very first thing in that passage. If you're struggling, if you're hurting, can I just invite you to do one thing? Just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. If you're not a Christian, consider him. But if you are a Christian, don't forget him. Consider Jesus in your relationship, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your workplace, in your school, in your health concerns. (laughs) Because all through that passage, it talks about rest, but also talks about holding on to, grabbing a hold of, striving for, considering. You can take an action. The second thing we see here is that true faith is a living faith talks about the Israelites, but then he says it, but you have a living God, and then you have the living word. 
God is just as real today as he was then. So trust him. And the last thing, rest is possible when we pursue God. You won't find rest if you just replace one thing with another thing. But you will find rest when you give all things to God. And he himself will be your peace. Now, sometimes we don't like that because when it says the word of God is living and active, right? It might cut deep. It might go in far, right? But don't think about that as bad. Think about it as getting like a fresh haircut, right? Everyone feels good when you come out with that fresh haircut, right? You're like, look good, right? Why? Well, you got some things that aren't supposed to be there cut away, right? You're refreshed, renewed. It's a new look, okay? When's the last time you got a spiritual haircut? When's the last time you went into this word and said, God, what you tell me to do, I'm going to do. You cut what's needed because I need something new today, okay? Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, just my heart goes out because we live in a culture that is so busy and is so overwhelmed. And God, if we try to find meaning and purpose in anything but you, we're going to be busy and restless. So God, whatever the situation is in people's lives that they're worrying about, struggling with, battling through, I pray that we can give it to you today. And unlike the Israelites, we saw that their problems were bigger than you. God, may we just come into your presence and say, yes, my problems are real, but God, you are bigger. You are stronger. And you are greater. The bag's too heavy for me, but it's not too heavy for you, and so I give it to you, God. Help us to find peace today by believing in you. In your son's name we pray, amen.